Hey there, I'm Rebecca Carter, and welcome back to Not Nosy, the podcast where I have a conversation with an artist that I know and admire about their life and their art. I've got lots of questions, but I'm not nosy, just curious. Um, Today, we've got Seth Leary on the podcast. You may know him as Seth Bang on Hit Record and Social Media. Seth is, as he says, a visual artist and an aspiring everything based out of Seattle, Washington. Professionally, he's an exhibit developer and project manager, and he specializes in traveling exhibitions. And we really get into all the kinds of work that he does, both for fun and for work, how he got started. And you guys, please listen through to the end because we're going to pitch an idea that everyone can get involved in. And I'm very excited and I've already said too much. So just please listen and let's do something together. I'm so excited. Okay, so Seth, can you hear that? Seth, (laughs) his name is Seth, exclamation point. Why? How? We'll get into that too. So settle in for a fun conversation with the super handy, ever creative man of many talents and jobs, Seth Leary. Not Nosy Podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash notnosy. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. So hop on over to audibletrial.com slash notnosy. She's not nosy, just curious, not nosy. Are we recording? Oh my goodness, hi. Do you usually work from home? I do. So uh, I've I've dug up everything I can find about you. Yay! <laughs> so you grew up in Illinois. I did. Right, Springfield, Illinois, yeah. land of Lincoln. Oh, really? oh yeah, that's the claim to fame there. Everything is land of Lincoln. It's a small city. It's kind of stayed small. How's it has? Been? Yeah, it's. I can't remember exactly how many it has nowadays. When I left, it was one hundred thousand. Well, it was nine hundred ninety-nine. It was ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine when I left, but because um, I left. It's, I, it's, I don't know, it's grown by maybe like 8,000 people or something. I don't know. It's still small. Yeah, right. it's 100, it's 100-ish, small. which yeah. seems pretty small compared to where you and I live anyway. Sure. It, it always felt sure. like a small town. So you have so much vintage footage, like you have so many childhood movies. And who was it that was taking all those videos when you were My young? dad. Um, and I don't want to say this out loud but i'm not sure where some of this footage has ended up luckily a lot of it got transferred already to to um vhs and then digital but some of it's missing anyway yeah my dad was um pretty big into it he had a super 8 camera and you know and back in those days you know you couldn't record audio um and i probably knew that but maybe i didn't yeah i'm not sure when they added an audio track to super 8 film it would have been probably late 70s maybe mid 70s but it would have also have been really expensive so this camera was one that my dad bought uh like in 1967 or something like that uh so yeah he would record mostly focused on the holidays so we 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 would have a christmas film every year and we would shoot an intro for it um yeah 
and my dad would like make these intricate little things and then later I started helping him um, and so it'd say like the Leary's you know Christmas 1971 and it would be, it'd be like a greeting card you'd open it up and he'd zoom in and you'd see it written oh, in there wow. um, yeah we had a lot of fun with that and then Easter he would do that but but yeah, just but we also fortunately he got a he captured just sort of candid moments of us being kids and doing stuff and it's really really cool to see that and sometimes we would sit around as a family and just sit around and watch watch these and things. watch them. Um, but he took a lot of photographs too. I was going to say you certainly have a lot more to document your childhood than I do of mine. Lots so of documentation. It, it, now of course everyone's got it, yeah. but it's it's so cool to see some of that some of that older stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he's so so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, huh? You you got so there was a lot of creativity kind yeah. of growing his, up. Yeah, um, his both of his parents very creative people. Photography was something that his father did a long time ago, and really? maybe even his did his grandfather also. They actually, although they're I, I don't think they're extant anymore. But my grandfather shot home videos of my dad. So there's, I have seen, although I think wow. they're lost to the ages now, but, um, film oh. eight millimeter film of, from the 1950s of my family, which is really cool. Um, and my grandmother is an artist. My dad was, yes, they're both very, all very creative people in just a variety of different endeavors. And so, yeah, growing up with my father was just sort of where I got the whole, you just make stuff. You just keep it in record. Right. So, um, but yeah, my um, my mom's side not so much. They were hardworking people. Yeah, it's. I think it's kind of rare to find that to have a family into the arts from before. Because before it was just you know I feel like more more people just trying to get mm-hmm. by. But and then I saw I saw you. Um, I think I don't know. If it's on hit record. You shared a photo or a video of you building like a movie set in your driveway. <laughs> and what was that? And then you said, and then you fill it with water. So, yeah. (laughs) You just never knew what Seth was going to (laughs) do. I had, so the way that came about, it's really funny and and probably dumb. But anyway, I was, forever I was like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. I'm going to make movies. But I had no idea what I was going to make. I didn't know what my stories were going to be. I came up with a few ideas, but... I just kind of put it off. And I had a job as a delivery guy. And I was delivering to a state office that it was a film and video production facility for the state. They would do PSAs and whatever, stuff like that. But they had a still on the wall of some scene where they had, I guess, I don't know, flooding safety. I don't know what it was for. But it was a behind-the-scenes shot, right, of a set that was flooded with water very similar to what you see in that picture they had built a set they i'm like fuck that's cool i'm gonna totally do that i had no idea what the story was gonna be but i was like i just want to make that i just want to do that and so i came up with this loose weird idea for a story and i was in college at the time so um or was i I don't know. I ended up having the idea to f- try to finish it when I was in college. I don't know if that's when I started it. But anyway, I was just like, let's just shoot this scene. So I didn't even tell my family that I was doing this, apparently. Um, but I just went to the <laughs> hardware store and 
and I knew I already knew pretty much how to build how to build a room in a house. We had done enough. My dad's also very handy, so I learned how to build things. It never occurred to me that I wouldn't know how to build stuff. So, yeah, I just went to the hardware store and just bought all this stuff. And then talk, you know, talk to the neighbor kids. I talked to one of the neighbor kids. I was like, hey, will you be in this movie? I'm just going to have you sit in this chair. We're going to fill it with water. And I guess I can't imagine I knocked it all out in one day. My parents must have come home and been like, well, guess we're not parking in the garage tonight. <laughs> and the neighbors, of course, were like, what? They're like, oh, yeah, Seth Leary. What's right, Seth we get it. Anyway, they just sort of were like, it's that Seth kid we understand. Um, yeah, the first time I filled it with water, I got it partway full, and the sides, bottom, it it gave out. Uh, and so then I realized, oh, yeah, I need to build a frame around it. So I did, and it held water. Um, unfortunately, the next day we were leaving on vacation to go out of town. So in the <laughs> middle of the night, I'm filming it. I didn't get it done. I'm filming it. It's getting dark. The footage turned out too dark. It's frustrating. And... Then I was like, well, I got to drain this thing. So I just punched a hole in the side and I and I filmed that. And the water comes flooding out and it goes down the driveway. My mom had this flower bed at the end of the driveway. No. Whoosh. <laughs> anyway, my parents like to remind me, they're like, remember how we let you do that in our driveway and we didn't get all mad? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I remember. That was nice. You were very... <laughs> they did give me a lot of latitude when it came to creative stuff. It's true. Yeah. Anyway, oh, so yeah, cool. someday I will post some of that footage and we can remix it and do stuff. <laughs> that's really fun. I always get so interested when people know how to build stuff, period, because I don't know how to build anything, you know, and uh, and so it's just so foreign to me to be able to say, oh, I think I'll just make this now, you know? Yeah. Uh, and usually, yeah, it's just that you grew up mm-hmm. doing it. So you wanted to be a filmmaker, but you didn't go you you didn't study that in college. I did not. So I had I was part of a, a little um, film company in high school. If you've ever seen the movie Super Eight, we were kind of those kids, except a little bit older, and nothing supernatural happened to us. But um, but we we the the kids had made a film this summer before I joined the club, the company, and then we worked on one the, the following summer. And the older kids, two of them went off to film school. One went to USC, studied cinematography there. Another guy went to Southern Illinois. Two of the guys went to SIU, Illinois. And I was like, man, I'm going to go to LA. I'm going to major in filmmaking. Boom, it's going to be great. And I told my parents this, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. They were, they're like, <laughs> we have been scrimping and saving to send you to, to a state school. So right. <laughs> if you think you're going to go to L.A. to study cinematography, you know, you're going to have to come up with the rest of the money. It's like, it's like, right. Hmm. Yep. Like, yeah. Okay. State school it is. So I, I was going to go to SIU, study film down there. But then the University of Illinois let me in, um, which was mm-hmm. shocked my mom. She was like, wait, they did what? I'm like, yeah, they said I can go to their school. And it's like. So turning down a Big Ten school, I don't know. I just couldn't do it. So, But U of I did not have a filmmaking program. So mm. I was like, well, I either go to a... I don't want to say too many disparaging things. I go to a party school or I go to a really fancy pants Big Ten school and get a degree in some other form of art. So that's what I did. I got a degree in art education. I was going to go into graphic design, landed on art education. 
Were you happy with that? Yes, uh, I am. I was happy with that, and I am happy with that. Uh, I think that was that was a good decision. I, I mean, I definitely rewind and like, man, but getting that degree in filmmaking would have been pretty cool. It would have that might have been a game changer. Um, but I don't regret not doing the graphic design. I got a lot out of art education. I think I, over the years, that has served me well, and I think I've been able to give back to the world a little bit more during my mm-hmm. time as an educator. Yeah, you've had like you've had a ton of different kinds of jobs. Your career path is a lot been... of jobs. Yeah, a lot of jobs. So coming out of college, what was your you was your first job that you taught? You were an art teacher, or you were a no. teacher? Or... So. Uh... How long is this podcast? Um, yeah, no, it's long. So it's long. We yeah, have plenty I, of time. Um, <laughs> I got. I was just like looking yesterday to see what day I graduated. I graduated on May twenty fourth, and I got married on May thirtieth. Or no, twenty. Mm. Yeah, I guess I graduated on a Sunday, got married the following Saturday, something like that. However, that works out. Um, and right after the honeymoon, my Wife and I, this is wife number one, um, we started a printing company, a copy shop, actually, sort of like a Kinko's, mm-hmm. and because that was what she had been doing up until the time we got married, and then, anyway, there were reasons. So we just entrepreneurial venture right out of the gate. I was, was I even 21? Yeah, I guess I was 21 years old, and we hung up a shingle in downtown Springfield, and we didn't even have a machine the first day we opened. We were like, come on in and plan to make copies with us. <laughs> <laughs> make, a make a reservation. For exactly. The it, was so, it was so cool. Um, <laughs> that was a real, that was a big learning experience. So I, I was doing that. And then my former high school art teacher called me and he's like, hey, I understand you just got a degree. How would you like to come down and teach one class each day? Because mm. um, we're short. And I was like, I could do that as a little lunch hour. So I would get on my motor scooter and scoot two miles from my printing company to the my old high school, teach a class, and then go back. Uh, yeah. So that that went on for about four or five years. Yeah, and then the business and the marriage both took it out. So yeah, that was phase one. And, and then from there, uh, from what was so the next then after yeah, um, had to close my business. That was really really hard. And I was kind of freaking out, not knowing what I was going to do. And one of my competitors called me. He was like, so I understand you might be looking for work. He was like, how would you like to come manage my shop so I can step back from the day-to-day operations? I was like, that's pretty cool. So I did that. Did that for a couple of years. Worked for him. That was rewarding. It was nice to get a paycheck and not have to be the struggle. Worried about, yeah. And are you doing design work there, I, or are you mostly... Both. I did a little bit of design work. Most of it is just managing a shop. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, we did a little bit of design work at this shop that I had before. Um, logo design and, and layout, gra- you know, basic layout for flyers and things that people needed. But mostly it was making copies. Make And... <laughs> But it was fun. It was stressful. It was a lot of work. It was, it was rewarding. It was all the things that you can imagine was energizing and and draining at the same time. But um, yeah, so I did worked for that guy for a while, and then 
I find I thought, you know what? Now I've had some real world experience. Maybe I could teach. Because when I taught that one class, it was weird because I'd only been gone from that school for four years. Right. <laughs> so I went to high school. I'm like yeah. goofball student. Blah blah blah. And then all of a sudden I walk in. I'm like, I'm the teacher. I was like, what? Yeah. How is that? And the, and the other faculty are like, Wait, you're you're the teacher now? Like, right. Yeah. The, <laughs> There's a show on TV. It's a spinoff of the Goldbergs right now called Schooled. And uh, one of the one of the characters that was kind of you know not a great student comes back and now she's a teacher and that's the whole thing. She walks in first day and they're like, "Get to class." Uh, yeah, the PE teacher, <laughs> one of the PE teachers, she was like, "You're still here." Like, yeah, I'm on the, I'm on the, I'm on an eight year plan. <laughs> anyway, um, but yes, I went. Um, I I applied at the school district and got a job teaching art, and I taught elementary school and middle school. And that was, man, that was hard. That was really hard. So, what's the hard? What what's hard? I imagine it is. But what's hard about there, it? Um, teaching in general is hard. It's just draining because you are on all the time. And so, if if you right. haven't hugged a teacher lately, man, that is that's that's one of the toughest jobs in the world. From my perspective, being on all the time was hard, but also. As a special, as an art specialist, you know, I had, I don't know, 400 students or something like that. And trying to remember the names of all these little kids and get to know all their little personalities when you only see them once a week and then having to give them grades, you know, how do you Mm -hmm. give a little kid a grade on art in the first place? And second place, if you've only seen them maybe nine times per quarter. Sure. Well, you give them an A. You give them an A. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was because if not, the parents are going to get on the phone and start complaining. Exactly. Right? Yeah, it was kind of a, a yeah. <laughs> How'd my kid get to be an artist? I had a middle schooler, and with middle schoolers, it's a little you know as they get older, it's a little easier to do some kind of grading. You have you have more of a rubric. There's more, you see them more sure. often usually because you you know you're generally seeing them every day, and there are other things you can there. So there are more things that you can that you can measure. And there was one girl who was getting a B. And I was like, going to be like the first B she'd ever got in her life. And I was like, man, I've heard these stories. Like my wife got a B from her in her jewelry class. And that was the first B she'd ever. It's like freaking art teachers, man. It's it's tough, right. you know, because you get these kids who are used to getting straight A's and all these academic subjects. But then they can't, you know, it's yeah. like, anyway, I hated it. So I was like, yeah. I got to bail out of this public school teaching thing. Okay. So I did that. And then I met my second wife and moved out here. Yeah, just you reminded me of, uh, yeah, when I moved to Florida in fifth grade, all of a sudden they were grading handwriting and I got a C and I was like a straight A student and I got a C in handwriting. And we were all like, what is this? (laughs) Harsh. And I'm left-handed and that's not the reason my um, handwriting's bad, but it used to be like a pass. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd be like, oh, she's left-handed. Left-handers have bad handwriting. (laughs) My father's left-handed. He has the most beautiful handwriting you know i'm just lazy but um (laughs) that was my c but um okay so what made you decide to move to seattle then um uh my wife already lived out here so Mm -hmm. um when i moved for love love. yep and luckily she lived somewhere nice yeah you know um (laughs) Yes, move for love, and it's a beautiful part of the world. So I'm really 
yeah, there was no no real conversations. Like, so which one of us relocates? Do you move to Springfield, Illinois, or do I move to right. the Pacific North, beautiful Pacific Northwest? And yeah, that was a no brainer. Plus, no, she had no brainer. Yeah, I mean, she she had an actual career too, so it made it made all the sense. And she had kids, and anyway, there was no discussion. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I moved out here. I'm glad I did. It's it's a part of the country I haven't been yet, and I've traveled quite a bit, and it's it's on the list. It's very high on the list. And you got to come out. You got a um, place to stay now. I can put you up. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, we're we're a lot of people, but um. uh, I can put up some of you then. <laughs> so then, would you? When did you get into? So you you design exhibits for museums now. That's what you yes. do now. Yes, um, as as rentals um so i as not rentals. usually as i have done a little bit of contract exhibit design work for museums for permanent stuff but the company that i started develops traveling exhibits that i then rent out to museums and science centers so they travel around and i started doing that in 2000 2005 i think and that was one of the that was also another case where i just woke up one day and i was like you know what i'm gonna do <laughs> Where would you come up with that, though? It would never even, like, of course it is a job now that I know that you right. have it. But bef- before, like, two days ago, I was like, I, I, you know, I wouldn't have even thought that that it's, existed. It's a niche industry. Uh, my father is a retired museum curator. So I grew up behind the scenes in a museum, and I, was, I always thought that museums were cool. I really liked the storytelling aspect of it. I used to watch exhibits being built you know, behind the scenes at the museum when they would work. Back then it was dioramas primarily. And so watching them make fake leaves and, and taxidermy mm. and make make fake trees and all this. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it was interesting. It was really interesting how they would just create these stories. So I thought, I want to do that. I think that would be really cool. And so I sort of tucked that away as an idea, in addition to being a filmmaker and all the other things. It's like, I want to be a museum exhibit guy. And when I got to sort of a, not really a fork in the road, but I got to a precipice or whatever, when I needed a new career, and I was like, what will I do with my life? I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, I don't really want to go work for a museum because that just seems really bureaucratic and challenging. And also, I couldn't be as creative as I want. I want to be able to do what I want. And then I thought, well, I could maybe hire myself out as an exhibit developer but I thought, well, first of all, I don't really have a resume for that. And second of all, I would also have clients and I would have to do what they want. And I really just want to do what I want. <laughs> so, right. Oh, you sound so like, like me. That's my that's my job description. Exactly. So, yeah, so <laughs> I, you know, it's basically how can I make this just into an art form where I get to where I get to make what I want. And somehow, I don't know, it just came on my radar that, you know, that I was like, well, let's see if I don't want to have my own building because that I've had a brick and mortar business before and that's. A hassle when I had my print come out. I was like, mm-hmm. I just want the exhibits without the building. How does that work? And then I realized, oh yeah, that is a thing. People, that's how they have these touring exhibits. So I explored right. the industry a little bit and I came up with my first idea. I made a logo. That's always the first thing. If you want to start a company, just come up with the name and the logo. You don't need a business plan. <laughs> if anyone's listening, don't worry about a business plan. Just a name and a cool logo um, and confidence. <laughs> confidence, a logo, and a name. That's really all you need. Um, and an idea. So I started with those things. 
And then I made a flyer for my first exhibit and I shopped it around. Um, and it's on, it's called Treasure. It's about treasure hunting. And Oh, well, I spent like two years trying to think of what would be a good idea for an exhibit. That's how I am. That's why I haven't written a screenplay yet is because I've spent 50 years wondering, what should I write about? So did you make a flyer before you had an exhibit? I did. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because. <laughs> but did it, you make the flyer as if you already had the exhibit ready? Um. Or. Not really. I mean. Okay. You're just pitching yeah. the concept. I, 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 I think I was pretty uh-huh. transparent about the fact that I was pitching a concept and the exhibit wasn't done yet. Um, right. And I was still in the designing stages. That's when I got 3ds Max and learned how to do 3D modeling because I could build a virtual version of the exhibit and do renderings. So I didn't have to buy any lumber or glue or nails or screws. I just sat down at my computer and built an exhibit, virtual exhibit. And so then I could show people pictures of these renderings and be like, here's the exhibit you would be renting if you rented this exhibit from me. Right. And then eventually somebody was like, yeah, we'll take it. And soon. (laughs) It's like, oh, shit. Guess I got to build an exhibit now. So I hustled around and figured out how that was going to work. Yeah, and there's the whole financial thing too, trying to figure out how to how to finance a show. The answer is do it right. for a lot less money than other people. <laughs> it's kind of, it's yeah. kind of like filmmaking, you know. It's like how do you shoot a major motion picture for eight thousand dollars? You figure it out. So yeah, I put together my first show and and it worked. It's still and that yeah, it debuted in two thousand seven, and it it hasn't been anywhere lately, but it it is going to be on. Um, in a couple more museums before it dies in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I started doing that. And then I started developing other exhibits the same way. You know, I would, I would come up with an idea for an exhibit and I would shop it around to see if anyone wanted it. If nobody did, it wouldn't get built. There were several, several exhibits sure. that I, that I thought would be cool that I never did. Um, yeah. And recently I started working for an, a, another company because I saw that. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, the entrepreneurial thing is cool up for a while, but at some point, you know, it kind of plateaus and then usually it either goes downward or something happens to make it go up. And I was, mm-hmm. it became evident that I wasn't going to be on an uptick without like getting more investors or I don't know what it would take. But anyway, I would just mm-hmm. run out of steam to do stuff on my own. There's only a certain amount of cheerleading I can do for myself before I go crazy. So, so yeah, I, I just is, said is sales uh, a forte? Like, uh, I, how how are you at, at sales? Because that's I'm terrible at that. So mm-hmm. um, I typically only do what falls into my lap. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, I'm pretty good at marketing. But I don't enjoy sales. Mm-hmm. So the branding and and getting the word out, I do all right with that. Making the cold calls. Right. Know, I mean, just it, getting those it's, meetings. It, getting the meetings. It's different in this industry, I mean, because at least you're not just peddling encyclopedias door to door. These are, they're all people. Sure. They're all people who should be interested in my product. But it's definitely not my favorite part. And it also tends to be really long and drawn out, too. Um just because of the way museums make their do their decision making for yeah. renting exhibits, so it's um, yeah that part 
it's not my favorite. I love designing exhibits, and that's kind of the trap I fell into for myself as I kept designing more and more exhibits. And from a business model standpoint, it would have made sense to focus on just a couple probably, but I kept wanting to increase I expand my portfolio. Right. So the exhibits are like you have um, you have actual. I, I was looking at the Marvel one you did for this other company too. Was that part of what you did, or you're mostly doing the the King Tut one? For those or, two um, shows, um, I've you know I've got brought on after both of those shows already existed. So. Oh okay. Yeah. So I didn't have anything to do with the development of those. Hopefully we will be mm-hmm. well. Now hopefully we will be developing new exhibits going forward. And, you know, my hope is to be quite involved in those. But, um, but for these two shows, I'm, I'm a project manager. So I'm working on the, con- the contract stuff, which is even less exciting than sales. <laughs> um, you know, just, you know. D- nothing like paperwork. Nothing like paperwork, dickering with details like that. But. And then you go, but then you go to where uh, the, you go help set up right. the show and get it how it's supposed to be. Yeah, and, yeah. and for uh, although for these two shows, even that part, I'm less hands-on than I'm accustomed to. When it was my own stuff, I'd put on my gloves, put on my Carhartt jeans, get my screw gun, and I, you know, I take off my designer and developer and, and business owner hat, and I would, mm-hmm. I would be crew and moving crates yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and so I was pretty accustomed to that. But with this role as a project manager i'm overseeing people who are doing that more business more businessy which is kind of weird i'm like man can i just lift is there anything here i can just lift yeah Yeah. can i put a screw in i would be the businessy person i'd be like uh can somebody uh over there move that a little to the right (laughs) i don't i don't do that yeah um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so when you were built, so when you were doing your own stuff, then mm-hmm. like how many people does it take to pull off? Because so you've got your your physical displays that you're doing. You're doing some like me- multimedia type things, and how how many people does that take? Or are you just doing it all yourself? It takes mostly? it takes more than more people than I have. Um, yeah, <laughs> luckily I know how to do all the things, as I'm fond of saying. Yeah, typically the way it would work is I would do the concept development. I would do most of the writing. When you say writing, you mean oh, the text yeah, the text that's displayed the, the text alongside. that goes in there. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes I would consult with other people, you know, people who were subject matter experts, if it was something that required that, to help me flesh out the scope and sequence, or the, the scope of the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, what, what are the important points, um, you know, about sustainability or about physics that, that should be in this exhibit and and how can we turn that into things that people do in addition to things that people read and usually I would design I designed the bulk of the physical components for the exhibit and one reason for that well there's a lot of reasons everything comes down most of it comes down to control artistic vision and money I want to be in control of everything mm-hmm. I like having my own vision yep. and I need to do it as affordably as possible so if you just hand off mm-hmm. an exhibit to an exhibit designer it'll come back super kick-ass but it's also going to cost forty thousand dollars to build a thing that's the size of a bed and it's like that's mm-hmm. more than i want to spend you know how can i do it for four hundred dollars <laughs> you know and <laughs> so when i'm designing stuff i'm all there's the other you know one half of my brain is like 
what looks cool and the other half of my brain is like, yeah, but how would you actually do this? So I'm always thinking about the materials like, okay, I could go buy this. This would be ready made. I don't have to have this manufactured. I can just go buy the order this off the internet, buy it. And anyway, it's, it's an interesting little mm-hmm. thing that goes on in my head. That's really cool, though. Yeah, that's where you you growing up knowing how to make stuff though comes yeah. into play. And the other piece of that is knowing how knowing that it's going to have to travel. I can visualize how it's going to break down because a lot of times if you hire an exhibit designer to make stuff, it'll be like, yeah, it's the size of a bed and it doesn't come apart, or no, right. it's five <laughs> times the size of a bed and it doesn't come apart. It's like, how are we going to move this from one city to the next? So I try to make sure it can, right. you know, origami done really small. Um, but then I would hire people to build it, usually. Sometimes I would build stuff myself, but I usually would find subcontractors who are, you know, experts because I'm, I can build things, but I'm not like a real carpenter. So if I want it to look really good, mm-hmm. I would hire somebody else if it required cabinetry kind of building. And some stuff, it was multimedia things. I could do it. Sometimes I would hire other people to do it. Yeah, I, so I project managed the whole thing. I never just handed it off to a production house because, again, they've got all the overhead and it costs a lot more. So Sure. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. Any given show, I mean, I was probably, well, usually it's just a handful of people, a handful of people working on it. I did have one that I did a few years ago that got a little out of control, um, and I just have to because of the time frame and it was big and I had to keep bringing in more people. And I was like, do you know a guy? And then that guy would come. I'm like, do you know somebody else who could come? You know, and that was just like, (laughs) you know, just basic carpentry and stuff. Sure. Hands. Yeah. 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 Kevin Seal, former MTV VJ. Uh Uh-huh. He lives in Seattle and he helped me make a foam coral reef. Yeah, really? he was. He's the friend of a guy that I had hired, and this guy John was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna call my friend Kevin and have him come work on this." And then he worked on the whole thing, and I didn't know who Kevin was. But then later, I found like, "Oh, sure. interesting. This guy. If you look him up <laughs> on the internet, he's got. He still has funny videos out there. Yeah. Anyway, nice guy. But I was like, that's kind of fun. I know it's funny because, uh, like, I went to I went to college. And I I went to this meeting for this volunteer organization, and the girl that's talking up front, I'm like, I know that voice, I know that voice. What is that? And it was uh, it was a girl that had been on some TV show on Nickelodeon that I used to watch. Huh. And I said to I said to someone next to me, she used to be on that show, and she's like, oh, I know. I went to high school with her, and she thinks she's so, you know. <laughs> but of course, now she's just a a college student, but I'm sitting here thinking, well, she was on a TV show. She must be the most, you know, famous person <laughs> in the world. But you know, just just a chapter of your life sometimes, I guess. I skipped over the part where you opened a school. Oh, yeah. Where I was that? that <laughs> it is pretty <laughs> hilarious. Um, I, have a, I have a list of 25 jobs, and only one of them is one that I haven't done for money and I like to share that people like which of these jobs do you think I didn't ever do for money um (laughs) and I'm not like a major career shifter this includes like things I did as on the side on the weekend or whatever but um yeah I've done a lot of things but yes I did I started a school in 1997 and um it was right after I moved out here to the Seattle area and I had been 
I've been working with a guy on sort of holistic education ideas. It wasn't really fleshed out. This was back in Illinois, and he passed away suddenly. Um, he had heart failure. And I was writing this newsletter to people that he, to our mutual acquaintances. And somehow that turned into a business plan for a school. I don't know. I was sitting there at the computer and I was like writing stuff about holistic, you know, whole student, whole person kinds of education ideas. And I was like, well, I should just start a school for that. <laughs> right? Because um, again, I just wake up one day. I'm like, you know. Idea to execution. I'm like, I'm just going to do a thing. I'm like, all right, well, first of all, what do I need? A logo and a name. And that's all I need. But I focused, the segment of population I was focusing on was um, gifted education because the gifted kids, the highly capable kids, tend to be the, the least served on the whole spectrum of kids. Really? Why do because you think there's, that, that there's an assumption that, that gifted kids, well, they're smart enough, they'll figure it out. You know, so we, sp- okay. we, you know, we, we, you know, we have a lot of energy spent toward, I don't know, the your regular kid, you know, sure. with your, the, the middle, with your, you, the you, middle yeah, student. The, mm-hmm. the, the kids who sort of are doing what you would expect a kid to do at that age, right? So what we might call sure. age appropriate intellectual ability and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And then you have also kids who aren't there, you know, who are developmentally delayed or whatever. And so we have special ed and special ed usually means for that part of the population, kid, kids who, who aren't, mm-hmm. who don't work Below grade, level or, below grade level, below grade level, and and who oftentimes never will, and so they have a lot of support. You know, they've got extra teachers in the classroom, and they have special classrooms for it, and and lots of a lot of services, which are, that that's appropriate. But but the kids who are just func- not just and it's not just intellectually functioning above their age peers, but the other thing about about gifted kids with a capital G, and this is. There's a lot of debate about this, even within the field. But but in my view, in my experience, the, the gifted kids also have affective differences, too. They perceive the world a little bit differently. Um, they tend to make connections hmm. that other people don't make. You know, they synthesize information differently. So it's not just they're four and they can read Harry Potter. You know, it's not just that. Or it's not sure. just that they're six and they're doing the calculus. But, I mean, sometimes it's that. But there's also part of the population who are just, you know, their mind is just like putting together things in a, in a different way. And, and also sometimes just experiencing things more intensely, you know, emotional intensity, taste intensity, things mm-hmm. like that. And historically what a lot of schools have done, is just like, oh, okay, well just give them the textbook from a year ahead, you know, just have them, have them just okay. here. Here's the math cl- the math book from the next class, which that's helpful. Arguably, that that's helpful. And some a lot of school districts, especially nowadays, have a gifted and talented program, but mm-hmm. that almost, in my experience, it almost exclusively focuses on that, just the intellectual acceleration. And so it makes two assumptions. One is that the intellectual acceleration, if you want to call it that, is is kind of the definition of what makes this kid different from the others. And the other piece is. Typically, the assumption is that it's across the board. It's like, so it's like. And across all subjects. So it's like, okay, here's, you know, here's Karen and she's seven and she's just crushing it in her reading, you know, 
And so we're just mm-hmm. going to give her everything that an eighth grader would have. But maybe her math skills are pretty average, you know. And so she's right. in this gifted and talented class, and she's doing, and she's, but she's underwater with, um, with the mathematics. But then there's yeah. also things, you know, where she's, I don't know, just coming up with different ideas and different ways of understanding things that, you know, even her teachers aren't dialed into. And so maybe what she really needs is some time to just do some Karen stuff. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I did with my, when I started my school, I was like, okay, I want to serve this population. We're not going to have grades, either kind of grades. We're not going to have letter grades. We're also not going to have like first, second, third grades. Just like your kid shows up. We're going to find out what they can do, what they're capable of in all these different domains. And they'll just do the next right thing. And, Mm -hmm. and then also the other piece of it, and I call it that skills and tools. And I try to make everything explicit to my students. I'm like, look, the only reason, not the only reason, but you're not just learning second grade math so you can do third grade math. The whole idea is you need to be able to quantify things in your experience. It helps you understand your world. Mm -hmm. It helps you function better if you know how to do these things. And if I, the why, Mm -hmm. it's like, and if I, if I'm, as the teacher can't explain to you why you should do this, then I'm probably blowing smoke up your ass. And I don't think those are the words I use, but, um, (laughs) but I might have. I was going to say for a second grade. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure I, but I, that's, but I did speak to them, not crassly, but I did speak to all the kids as, (laughs) you know, as As people. people. Mm -hmm. And so they appreciated Mm -hmm. that. And I said, you want to learn a thing? I don't know that thing that you want to learn. So we're going to have to learn this together. Let's go get books at the library because, mm-hmm. you know, I, so I made it abundantly clear that I'm also a learner, that things mm-hmm. that you need to have a reason for learning stuff. Um, um, and, but one of those reasons can be, I want to know that thing, you know? And mm-hmm. so that was a big part of our day was we would come up with group projects. We would take a little poll and this was a tiny school. This was like six kids. And so we would take a survey mm-hmm. and we're like, okay, what should we learn about and they would, they would, we'd write stuff on the whiteboard, and eventually we'd come to some semblance of consensus. Let's learn about ocean mammals. Cool. And so they had ownership, mm-hmm. right? They're like, this is the thing we want to do. And then the other piece was they had independent projects too. And so I would say, what do you want to learn? You know, what's something that interests mm-hmm. you right now, today, that you think is going to be interesting to you for at least four to eight weeks? And how can we study that? And then what can we use to show for it at the end? What would, we need to have mm-hmm. some some way to to kind of measure what you've done. So they might be like, I'm going to do all this research, and I'm going to do a bunch of drawings and turn it into a PowerPoint presentation or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, Were you the the only teacher in the class in the um, school, or mostly? Yes, um, we we had a kid, we had a baby, and so at the same time, and so I hired a woman to do we would tag team sometimes adrian would just sit in the corner in in a Mm -hmm. baby seat um (laughs) but sometimes um linda or i would take adrian out of the room and you know feed or rock to sleep or whatever Mm -hmm. they would and then we would come back so we we i had more adults in the room that i really needed but partly it was just because Mm -hmm. we needed somebody to watch adrian then later we our family got an au pair, and so I didn't need to do that model. But then by the time Adrian was in old enough to be in preschool, I was like, you know, I should just add a preschool class. 
So then I did. So then I had my elementary school kids and a preschool class, and I did hire a second teacher to do the preschool. So the most I ever had mm-hmm. in my little school was 14, though. It was very small. Okay. I intended to make it bigger, and that was why it's not still around, because it didn't get bigger. <laughs> it quickly, it became untenable financially to do that. But it was yeah. really rewarding. Um, I got a lot out of it. I'm really proud of the of the, the model that I made for this school. And I, it wasn't entirely of my own making. I mean, I consulted from other people how to design a school day that, that worked the best for the kids. But I bet they loved that having... They did love it. And, the, you know, another thing is that by... And it seems like... I mean, it was a good experiment. I wish other people would try it because you... All the kids had their own work to do, and which is completely mm-hmm. different. Usually in a classroom, we've got 26 kids, and they're all doing the same page. It's like, that's absurd. Why yep. would 26 seven-year-olds all be exactly ready for this particular thing on this particular day? Sure. Like that, that's weird. Oh, it's efficiency, man. It's yeah, tough. And, but, and my, the way I was doing it, it seems like extra work for the student. But the thing is, if every kid is working on stuff that is in their zone of proximal development, mm-hmm. they're just they're on it because they're like it's they're right where they need to be. And you can just go around and facilitate. And if you have like three kids all struggling with the same thing, you're like, hey, all right, come here, everybody. Let's just look at this one thing we're all challenged with. Anyway. Yeah, a little more like homeschooling. Or, yeah. yeah, it can be done. That that individualized attention. Yeah, I was just talking with my husband this morning. I have two kids. They're eight and ten. They're both in the gifted program at, at public school. But uh, we we're talking about my younger one. When he was in kindergarten, he was in a, a 40 kids in a class with two teachers. <sighs> and he was a good kid. So I think there were days that like he just never said a single mm-hmm. word. <laughs> And probably no one said anything to him because you're so busy at that point. I mean, they're so little, mm-hmm. too. You're just trying to – you're just dealing with the the ones that are a little rowdy, and you're just trying yeah. to move along in your day. And then the next year, he was in a class with just, like, six kids. And what a, you know, what a difference for him. And that's where he came out of his shell. Mm-hmm. And But it's tough. You know, I got real involved at the school. And it's – you can't blame them either because they're working with – so many restrictions and requirements and limited budget mm-hmm. and they have to take all these kids and it's oh, yeah you know so it's uh it's it's a challenge and and i've learned that i need other people to teach my kids like mm-hmm. i don't want <laughs> i can't do yeah it. <laughs> i need a little i need a little breathing room and you know there are people that have actually learned how to teach children and and uh i'm not one <laughs> of them so yeah it's it's tricky. Oh, that's really interesting, though. Yeah, what a what a fun career you've had. Mm-hmm. Kind of a winding road. A very winding road. Yes, that is how I would describe it. Yeah, you take each piece and it kind of builds into the next mm-hmm. piece. It does. Yeah. And then I was seeing. Uh, so we know each other through Hit Record. First of all, I was looking at you. Your uh, your profile set up so nicely that like all of the stuff that tells about who you are is right there in the front. So it's so easy to find. So thank you. I really liked the part, I think it was, oh, you were saying why I hit record, and you were talking about how, how you wanted to s- spend time on, on creative things, and how, you know, it's like how, how we all kind of deserve and, and crave an audience for our work, and I I think it's, I just found it really mm-hmm. interesting, because I do feel that I just have this desire to create stuff, but then if no one sees it, it feels like... Th- 
the cycle isn't complete. I just really connected to the part that you were talking about the audience. I don't know if you have any if you have any thoughts on that because it's funny because sometimes I feel like if something just lives on hit record because hit record has such such like a little tight little group even mm. though there's a lot of people on the site it's not like it's out in the regular world and sure and I, you know that's probably why this podcast is a regular podcast and not just on the site because I felt like I needed any thoughts on what um why we want that audience you know for our, for our work when really it's the, the, it should be more in, that drive it should to be create the drive to create and the intrinsic all the stuff blah 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 I, yeah I mean I think I think it's kind of twofold for me um, I mean it, it, it's definitely hugely rewarding for me just to make stuff um, even if other people other people don't see it I mean I, I do enjoy the process right and the process is something that can't really be um, that doesn't get transmitted right that's not the audience piece so the part where I sit down and I start or stand up or whatever and I do the thing and then I'm I get it to completion that that process is a huge source of joy for me uh, but I'm also just in general as a my personality I'm kind of um, attention seeking <laughs> um, right. Um, I'm, I'm pathologically need affirmation from other people. Something that I'm I'm working on through therapy and <laughs> and whatnot. But um, yeah. But anyway, I do. I yeah. I love an audience, and I like audience feedback. It's nice to know. Um, part you know. Although I don't know. I have to cut myself a little bit of slack here because it's not just for the affirmation, but also. I think I'm not being disingenuous when I say that I really I enjoy the part where it brings something to someone else, you know. Sure. Um, like when I do my two Seth Tuesday videos, um, you know, I <clears throat> there's a woman who sees them on Instagram, and I saw it in an art show opening. She was like, she's like, now I live for Tuesdays, you know. And which I now and but see what's funny is like I haven't done one for two weeks and now I'm feeling bad because I'm like Shh, what you know Nancy's probably like this lady this lady Na- Nancy's for my losing video. her mind right now her you know <laughs> and I'm like okay that's a little grandiose but <laughs> but I do but it's it's cool you know to know that at least for for thirty seconds and and probably a little bit after glow after that that there are people out there who are who are smiling about it you know they're getting a laugh it's mm-hmm. like okay cool their day might be crappy but at least i at least i know that for a certain number of people there's like was like 30 seconds of ha 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 that was fun um of course there might be a bunch of other people who were like well that was a waste of 30 seconds but <laughs> sorry <laughs> forget sorry. them they don't count uh yeah so it's i i like getting the feedback of having an audience i like to know that the time and effort that i invested into it into making something creative was um, was helpful to somebody else, for lack of for lack of better terms. So yeah, I and that's why I mean I would love to be an actual filmmaker making actual films that were seen by tens or hundreds of thousands of people. Cause be like that would be a rush, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's interesting though because. Um... I, I listen to a podcast, Armchair Expert, with Zach Shepard, and, and they talk about how you can spend so long making a movie 
and you think you're making this certain kind of movie and and you have these big ideas but maybe it's a total failure at the box office and what he's kind of had to come to is like I enjoyed the process of making the movie Mm -hmm. you know after that it's it's out of my hands and it could be yeah sure it could be a hit and then you feel extra great but I don't know you were saying it's it's that process of making it that that brings you joy but then you do want it you do want it to get out there and I don't know and then and then you had this idea I saw a while ago about a hit record traveling exhibit basically mm-hmm. bringing what you do to hit record. And I read that and I was like, yes, I think it's uh, it's I think that would be amazing. I'm always trying to think of and I and I missed those years where they were doing like hit record on the I don't know. They they took it on the road. And, that was before and me too. did some mm-hmm. different. Yeah, some different kinds of things. But I think it'd be. uh I think it'd be amazing to have some sort of physical exhibit with art from the artists and the collab, you know, showing the collaborative process and what you can come up with. Yeah, I think it would be great. I haven't really, and I, I haven't pursued it very much. I I did, um, I did run it by headquarters HQ as we like, you know, our buddies down in California, mm-hmm. and. That was that was a long time ago. That was when I first made the video, and and it was not something that they were interested in doing, you know, as an official hit record production company project sanctioned event or whatever. Um, sure. Which is totally fine. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on. So, so yeah. So hit record headquarters was not. It wasn't in their scheme to do this traveling exhibit. Thing. Sure. But I still think it's a viable thing, and. And if there are people out there listening who want to help me work on it, I would be I would be down for that. the The logistics of it I don't think are too hard, and it's certainly all stuff that I know how to do. the 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 big unknown piece is where will it be exhibited? And so, if we can get a right. bunch of hit recorders or even a handful who can help us locate a space that would like to sign up for it, um, then I would be I'd be up for facilitating that i think it could be really cool i'd be up for i'd be up for being on that team i i I think it's a great idea and i think yeah i was thinking gosh you could even put out okay so you make it like an unofficial thing right if if they decide they don't want to play everyone owns their work as long as you Mm -hmm. get to the point you know you'd kind of have to get everyone sign out you'd probably need some sort of legal document that everyone that's in it signs mm-hmm. that says yeah i want to you know be part of this so you could only use remixed stuff that was you know with within the confines of those right. artists but i think you could you could eat wouldn't you think mm-hmm. i'm just thinking out loud here uh but i think that would be easy enough to pull off because i think most people do want that audience and they are trying to further their work and and whatnot and I thought, oh gosh, you know, some some people are super. Some people are are very established artists and have connections and probably have a space, know of a space, could help, you know, say, okay, I could, you know, I could get a. I could get it set up here for, 
I was just curious, yeah, to talk about the logistics of it. Like, how long would you need a space available to make it worth it? What are the costs involved in doing something like that? What What would it be? I th- it could all of it could be pretty nominal. Um, I mean, the nice thing is, I mean, that our work ultimately is all stuff that is um, in this. This one I'd want to play with for a show, but it's it's all digital ultimately right we all so it's mm-hmm. all flat um and but it'd be cool if some of the works in in a show could actually be you know be three-dimensional um oh and, I'm and sure some stuff could. people yeah. are you know are photographing or scanning things that are that are three-dimensional so it might be on a canvas but we what we see on our computer is is flat um but also, like, if somebody did a claymation, it would be cool to have the little clay figure, you know, there mm-hmm. in the art show. Um, but point being, what, however we did it, it would, it would be pretty compact in terms of shipping it. You know, this could be put into a few cases and shipped via UPS from one venue to the next. I don't think it has to be so big that it would require a freight company, for example. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, for duration... I would probably think it would. We'd want it up at a, for a month at least at every place. Um, there might mm-hmm. be some special cases where, if it was like for a festival, where it would be up shorter than that. Um, but just to avoid having so much ongoing logistics and having to worry about like storage and things like that, you know, if we could have it just go from from venue to venue to venue without having to stop and have somebody store it somewhere that would be nice mm-hmm. um and and also just the setting up and taking it down somebody has to do that um so if it doesn't have to happen yeah you'd need a really reliable person mm-hmm. and in a location that could yeah but it could be built you know so that it was pretty simple you know we wouldn't necessarily have to mm-hmm. have me or somebody flying out to every installation to set it up it could be designed to be fairly turnkey I think, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think I think the logistics wouldn't be yeah. too bad. I I think that's very doable. I mean, I think it's an undertaking for mm-hmm. sure. But I think I think it's very. I think it, I think it could be done. And there's so much you could do. You could have behind the scenes videos. You could have testimonials. Mm-hmm. You could have stuff that's on print. You could you know yeah. Uh, and I I think people would be willing and open to to give their art. So hey. Maybe we can put it out there and I would I think we should see what I happens. Would, I would sure like to do it. And it would be now, you know, there are enough people on Hit Record that, you know, whatever community it's gonna to go to, there's there will be people there who who are sure. familiar with Hit Record and who are part of it. And so you know, having some kind of an art show opening, you know, and making yep. sure that everybody in the Hit Record community knew about it. Um I would imagine that would be something that could be put on the site pretty easily, you know, so mm-hmm. that there'd be a little heads up. Hey, everybody in Milwaukee, be sure to come see this show. Yeah. So. Yeah, and who knows with the new direction? I mean, the new direction of Hit Record, I don't know, and they're working more towards being an online thing, but uh, but because they're moving away from this production company concept to... I don't know yet what platform means exactly, mm-hmm. but you never know. 
maybe. Yeah, that that might be maybe a, they'll speak a up. boost to this idea. So I'm not I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, so that's cool. So maybe we can follow yeah. up on that. And the two Seth Tuesdays you mentioned, I was definitely going to bring it up. <laughs> How do you do that, man? That's like, for me, flawlessly executed p- parent trap kind of like I uh, another skill I, I don't have. So uh, I was I was curious. Maybe you can walk us through how you came up with it. Yeah. Um, what it what it takes to they put are, together. They're super fun to do. And I feel bad that I'm not have been more consistent doing them. I'm. In an ideal world, I would love to be doing it every other week. Um, You've done like 13, I have, 14 yeah, of them, haven't I have. you? Fortunately, the quality, you know, they're, I mean, I think they're all pretty good. But um, the first one, fortunately, the first one isn't necessarily the best one, but it's definitely definitely up there. Um, how did I, I? Well, honestly, I mean, the first one is the conversation about why, you know, about doing it. So that was literally actually what happened mm. in my head. Well, I, was, I was like, man, I should do a thing. And then I'm like, but really, why? Why do people want to see it? I don't know. I just want to do it. <laughs> and part of it is I just don't have like a lot of buddies, you know, who like do creative stuff. Right. So I'm like, who could I get to be in my video? I know me. <laughs> I could get myself. I could totally talk myself into being in this video. And so I someday I visualize having yeah. this feature film with like, 14 characters and they're all just played by me because they're all just I don't know you. I don't yeah, know I've, I've seen the picture of all yourself. Yeah, it's like yeah. I don't know that many people. <laughs> Table full of I need, I need more guinea pigs or people who are willing to play with me who are available when I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's actually kind of a fun little challenge for myself because I, I mean, I do it by myself so I don't have somebody helping me with any of it and I do it when I'm completely alone in the building, the home, the house, the condo, whatever because... It's kind of a weird process. So I just set up my mm-hmm. camera on a tripod and I have, or my phone, I just set it up on a tripod and I, I tell myself in my head, I'm like, okay, what's, what's the story going to be? The, what's the dialogue? I think, I think one time I wrote some of it down, but usually I just do it in my head. I just do, 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 do the lines. So then I just, and I figure out like, what's going to be my other outfit. And I just have that sitting over here. So then I just go and I stand in one spot to do the and I do the dialogue and then I stop and in my head I think the other piece of the dialogue you know sort of ventriloquist style <laughs> you know and and then I deliver my next line and I usually add insert a little bit of extra space in there that I can if I'm really careful I can cut out without a glitch mm-hmm. you can't move around so, yeah a lot there's yeah there's a little bit of time when I have to not move around just to be careful and so then I record that and then I just and the the camera's still rolling and I just step out of the way and I just you know take off my shirt or whatever you know change some of my clothes and then I go and stand in the other spot and then just deliver the other but are you replaying no the thing and listening to it look at you I just do it and I I just do it all in one so it's in one take and um or at least well sometimes I stop like if I screw up I'll I'll start over again but um yeah it's just one but how are you passing yourself stuff? Like, didn't you, like, did. hand yourself an ornament? How? Um, let's see. Did I do that with the ornament? I think I didn't with the ornament. I think I... You put it on the tree and then you pick it up I can't remember what I do with the ornament. I, yeah. There's one time but you pass yourself something There's and I'm a, like... I'm washing dishes and I have myself the plate. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was hard. 
so what I did, what I did was, um, I recorded the scene just empty, so I'd have a clean shot of the of the kitchen counter. Right. And then I put a um, I put a canister on the counter at the height where I thought the plate was going to be when I set it down, and so I'm doing the thing, blah blah blah, and then I just. And then I carefully, and I tried to like very carefully laterally just set this plate down on this canister. And then when I'm doing the other character, you know, I'm doing my stuff. And then I reached down and I just picked it up off the canister. Again, trying to do it fairly laterally. And so then when I'm compositing it, I have the two shots side by side. But then I have that original shot that I had where the counter was clear. I bring that in and Mm -hmm. mask it out so that covers up that wow. covers up the canister but it has to be a i don't know in the old days we called it a traveling mat but it has to i have to go in frame by frame and and adjust that as the plate is leaving oh you already lost me and, on where, where i well, was and, and i had to do it with the plate and with the plate too i had to mask the plate because the plate comes in and one time it's the plate in motion and then the other time right. it's when it's leaving and so it was it was hard that's a level of patience I probably don't It took don't so long. It took so many hours. It was ridiculous. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a 30 second thing, and it's taking me hours. To... <laughs> and it worked out pretty. It worked out pretty well, especially if you're watching it, you know, on your phone or. So I think it, I think if oh, you saw it really sure. big, you could, you can see the plate kind of goes a little in there, but it's uh, pre- it's pretty clean. I mean, for. A, I for think, yeah, I was probably watching it on an, my phone. For an Instagram but... slash hit record nonsense, I think it's it's pretty tight. Um, but I didn't learn my lesson because then I decided to do the one where I'm looking at myself in the bathroom mirror, having a conversation, mm-hmm. and I decided to pass myself a, a whitening strip through the glass. Okay. And yes. that was really hard because both characters have a reflection in the mirror as well as an actual person standing outside there so now there's four characters and i have to there are four images and so i had to just do all these layers well there's one layer that's like just a hand and what are you working in Uh, i use premiere adobe premiere okay um, yeah, I do it. I do it strictly in there. Some of the shots, I mean, some of them, I give myself a break. I'm just like, okay, it's going to be me sitting on the opposite side of the table, just talking. And then I can just, sure. I don't do it split screen straight down the middle. I always have to zigzag it a little bit just to, to make sure the lighting and the shadows all work out mm-hmm. right. Um, the, I, I like the one where I'm playing cards with myself. That one's pretty sneaky. You have to kind of watch that a couple times. Like, wait, how do you do that? I'm pretty proud of that one because <laughs> the way the card, I tossed the card back and all that. It's but. One day you're going to need those skills for something and you'll be glad you've had all that I practice. I guess. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know. When you open your uh, split screen uh, <laughs> movie production company. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it'll be. Uh, yeah, and I keep thinking someday I want to do one where like a third Seth is going to appear. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's... Uh, they're they're a hoot to do i like i enjoy the challenge i enjoy the challenge of trying to come up with a 30 second gag i mean just that part just coming up with a what's a funny thing i can do with 
myself in 30 seconds. That sounded mm-hmm. weird. Um, but, um, although, and one of them actually ended up being like 45 seconds. I felt a little bad, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Why'd you feel I bad? Does Nancy only like No, that's the thing. Leave? It's only for me. I'm like, dang, I just set this little thing. I'm like, I'm going to make these 30 <laughs> seconds. Then I did one song. I'm like, no one's going to notice or care. Stop saying that. There you go. But, yep. <laughs> oh, the other thing is I have to also have to make sure that for Instagram, they fit within a square. Oh, sure. So. Yeah. But then I do it. it full screen for hit record. So there's always a little extra right. on the sides. Anyway. Yeah. They're, they're a hoot. They're, um fun i'd like to do them more often so all the other thing is i do them all on tuesday i think i think so far i've always done them on tuesday. right I, yeah. well they're two sub- i've been two thinking sub- i should maybe yeah but i mean i even sh- i shoot it and edit it and do all of it in one day oh yeah. really yeah i usually oh. start it yeah i usually start on it in the morning and then try to knock it out so you don't do lunch with people on tuesday <laughs> right. right all booked up on tuesdays yeah. Oh gosh! I started doing interviews on Thursdays, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna do this schedule, and I'm gonna do them on Thursdays." And then, like my first one, like the landscapers arrived and everything, I was like, "Oh, I wonder if I don't know what the schedule for noise is around here." <laughs> so what's uh, so what's next for you? You got any? So the the feature film you're you're saying you got? I got to do that, and that's gotta happen. I don't know. I'm not getting any younger, so but I don't know what it's gonna be. But I, yeah, I was watching um, Rebel Without a Crew. What's that? Hang on. This is embarrassing. People are going to be like, how is he not remembering this name? Um, I'm so bad with names. And like people are like, have you seen this movie? Do you know this thing? I'm like, nope. Nope, I'm the same. I, I, I. Uh, I'm the same. I have several podcasts in which people say, do you know this person? Or I'll even quote someone and I won't know who I'm quoting. I'm like, uh, it's this person. And Okay. If you ask me to name a song, I literally can name like one. I'm like, uh, happy birthday. I, I... Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm the same way. Um, yeah, so Robert Rodriguez, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, who, who knows kids. our friend, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, did... Uh, he recently did a thing called Rebel Without a Crew, and he got five aspiring young filmmakers and gave them um, $8,000, I think it is, and two weeks to make a feature-length film, and, and he helped, mm. you know, he facilitated it. It was, it was sort of a, you know, reality TV show kind of thing, but it was not a competition, but otherwise it had all the makings of that so they you know they had a crew following each of the these five filmmakers anyway it was very inspiring to watch that um i watched it on the internet now it's on the el rey network which is something that my cable company does not get um Mm. and actually i never heard of it Mm -hmm. oh this weekend or today or tonight or last night they're starting to show on there the finished products of the films that these people made so i've i saw part of one of them down in Los Angeles. But anyway, uh, it was really cool. I was like, man, people are still doing this. They're still making videos for low, low budgets in short periods of time. And I'm like, I got to do that. So that's on my list. Um, But before that, I committed to myself several months ago to make a stop motion animation short film. And uh, I'm not as far along on it as I would like, but I keep telling people that I'm doing it. So now people are coming up to me and they're like, hey, How's that short film <laughs> coming? I'm like, now. 
I'm working on it. But if I don't tell people, it'll be like everything else. <laughs> not everything else, but it'll be like a lot of other things that that never come to fruition. But, Slip away. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got the storyline pretty well worked out. I haven't finished the script yet. That's something I really need to do. I have, at least in my head, I've got some character design done, and and I have pretty good pretty good idea what the set is going to be like. So, anyway, a lot of it is still in my head, but it's it's getting fleshed out. the The next part is really getting that getting this the script finished. Um, but I have a space at my the place where I'm living now where I can set up and shoot it. So when it gets a little warmer, um, cause it's not a heated space, but I want to be ready to, ready to go out and do that. I went down to Portland and saw, um, the Leica studios ex- exhibit at, um, the Portland art museum about Coraline. Well, it wasn't just about Coraline, mm-hmm. but it was, about, it was about their studios, but you know, they they showed all the puppets they made for Coraline and and the sets for Paranorman and all these things, and I got super jazzed about it. So it's going to be similar yeah. to that. I'm going to use similar style in terms of the scale of the characters and and that kind of thing. It'll be oh cool, yeah, that'll definitely use all of your skills. It's going to use all my skills, and we'll s- yeah, I'm excited. So when I get it done, then I'm actually I actually want to. Sh- you know, submit that to film festivals and finally do that whole, whole dream. Yeah. Um, I worked on a couple of things with Cora Linda from Hit Record, Cora Lily. Yeah, I saw. And um, and man, she's she and Spaceship are just, just, they're man, go-getters. they're go getters. They're just it's, I'm just living life vicariously through them right now, because um, they're just doing so many so many cool projects so i'm really inspired by them <clears throat> excuse me i i see them doing these things i'm like yes i'm several steps behind but i'm gonna i'm gonna follow their footsteps and get some get something out to a film festival and... yeah i saw that you did some animation for one of one of mm-hmm. her films and it was on imdb yeah. how do you get imdb credits does it have to be how does that happen it has to be some sort of official thing yes yeah, it has to have been. There has to have been some kind of distribution for it. I can't remember what the what the requirements are exactly. Someone told me if you get into a film festival, then you it can definitely be a IMDb mm-hmm. thing. But I wasn't sure how how you make it how you make it appear. How you yeah, make it show I don't up. know about the product be, um, because the projects were you know were already on there. My IMDb credits are for that plus hit record stuff so those are both there so i mm-hmm. just i had to add myself as a someone who worked on those things oh okay so the project the project goes on imdb and then you log in as yourself and say i worked on yeah this. and they have to it's vetted i mean i think they make sure you're not just you know people aren't just out there bullshitting right. or whatever <laughs> i can't remember if that was one of the things also where i had to get the exclamation point approved i feel like it is it's hard to get. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. It's hard to up. get the exclamation point on stuff, especially nowadays. So your name is Seth exclamation mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Leary, is and the, and you said that that's official, and I couldn't tell if it was tongue in cheek or not. No, it's really, it not. is official and legal and all that. Um. Yeah, I've been spelling it that way for. God. Thirty nine years, I think. So. Did you get it approved in? Illinois. Um, I did. I didn't add it legally until I lived out here. Um, after I'd been after I'd been doing it for thirty years, I was like, I've been doing this for mm-hmm. thirty years, 
I'm going to finally go to a judge and be like, look, bro, we've got to make this legit. So they allow punctuation marks in Washington. Uh, well, legally, yeah. I mean, you, but it, it's not on the driver's license. I mean, I'm sure I could have done it in any state. No, no, you can't. I There's a website I looked up <laughs> and there's like a, I'll try and link to it. But uh, it's like weirdest name laws by state. Oh, really? And there's all these crazy things. Like in some in some states, you can't even have like a, a tilde. Like if your name is Munoz mm-hmm. or something like that, they won't even put the tilde on top of the N uh, for you. There's, there's certain things. And in some, I think in Illinois, you can uh, have numbers in your name. So like someone's middle name is just the number mm-hmm. seven. And... Uh, <laughs> But some, you know, some states you can only have a dash, and then other states you can are more flexible. Yeah. So where did you go? How is it officially your name? Like, is it through the state, um, or where did you? Yeah, it's um, yeah, I guess it's the state of Washington. I mean, I went to the court in Bellevue. I've, I had to actually sent back in the olden days. Websites didn't weren't didn't care so much, you know. Right. Back then, you could just make your password four digits and whatever. But right. um, but now, almost invariably, if I enter my name on a form, you know, it's an invalid character, invalid character. Right, um, for sure. When I when I first signed up for LinkedIn <laughs> years and years ago, it didn't do that. It let me put it in there just fine. Um, but then I went to edit something on there recently. And when I went to hit save, it was like, mm. you can't do that. And so I, so I had to call their technical support people and go round and round and they made me send them a PDF of the court document. I'm like, are you <laughs> kidding me? I could, you know, I but could. But you did it. You spent your time on that. I did because I was like, this is, it's not, but I could have, I mean, you think is you could sign up on there, you know, as, you know, as cluster dick, you know, and because it's all valid <laughs> characters, you know, they're not going to challenge it, you know. But anyway, I was like, that's ridiculous. But and when I joined Facebook, which I'm not on Facebook anymore, so don't anybody go try to find me there. Um, But when I joined Facebook a million years ago, they did have a thing where it was filtered out. And so I had to Mm -hmm. I had to write to them. But this was so long ago that you could actually get in contact with a human. But I wrote to them and a guy named Keith writes back and he's like, well, you know, can you provide some proof that that's actually your name? And at the time, I didn't have the legal documents. So I was like, how about a picture of my college diploma? Because it's on my college diploma from the University of Illinois. Shut up. Yeah. Good for you. So I said, he was like, I don't know. He was like, okay, that works. So I did and sent it to Keith. And he was like, okay. So he manually, this guy at Facebook manually went in. So what was the moment that you said, I'm going to be Seth, exclamation uh, point? So it was February something, something, something. We're coming up on the anniversary. 1980. And I was at a uh-huh. junior achievement little show thing where we, at the mall. We were selling our junior achievement merchandise at the mall in Springfield. And right. so we got, we all had, Hot item. we all had name tags. It said, hello, my name is, you know, those hello, my name is tags. And uh-huh. so I wrote my name on there and... I was like, punctuation, you know, hello, my name is Seth. That's a sentence. So I was like, mm-hmm. sure. I was like, I just put an exclamation point. I'm like, hello, my name is Seth, you know, <laughs> just to be energetic. And then I looked at it and I was like, uh-huh, I'm doing that now. There we and go. And so, that, yeah, I was like, okay, well, that's sticking. That's a thing now, forever. Um, <laughs> so. 
it would never in a million years occur to me to do something like that. Yeah. So I just, yeah. That's awesome. Ever since that day. And I, and I, at the time I was like, man, I'm going to lose my last name. I'm going to be like Sting and Cher, you know. I'll yeah. just be Seth. Seth. Which, yeah. <laughs> Still good yeah. That, try, try existing in computer systems with no last name. Mm-hmm. That'll, that's an extra extra hoop to jump through some websites i had trouble in mexico because i don't have a second last name oh when i lived in when i lived in mexico because everyone uses two your father's last name or your mother's last name the women don't Mm -hmm. don't change their names when they get married and it's like well what's your second last name it's like well i don't have one it's like but our system requires a second last name and it was just like at the bank just the time i would spend like i don't have a second last name and Hmm. sometimes they'd say well why don't you use your mother's maiden name but it's like but they're so sticky they're so like by the book on paperwork there i'm like i don't have an id with that name Mm -hmm. on it and i'm gonna come back and try and get my money and you're gonna say but that's not you you know so i wouldn't do it oh yeah i don't so i don't think i'd have the patience to do what you've done just (laughs) because that little that little bit that i had to go through and that finally we'd be like can you put a period you know can you yeah sometimes sometimes i don't bother my bank has been very gracious about it though so i finally have a debit card with it on there because now they can print them you know back in the olden days they used to emboss it by the olden days i mean like a year ago they would emboss it, and so they didn't have. They didn't actually have the embosser with an exclamation point. But, but one company mm-hmm. did. They put the Visa logo, so it was S E T H Visa logo. <laughs> but when they <laughs> but when they swiped it, it came up with the exclamation point. So it did, you know, on the magnetic oh, strip, it was recorded it, that. But on the imprint, it was a Visa logo. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Well, that's fun. TMI See, about people, exclamation you can be creative point. in all areas of your life. <laughs> Yes, exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. I think we did it. Yeah? Yeah. Hit record traveling exhibit. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. That should be a thing. We should yeah. do that. Yeah. I'm, Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you're awesome. interested. And now the part where I talk about everything we just talked about. Seth Leary, everyone. So creative. It's unbelievable. I really hope you can spend some time going through his stuff on Instagram and hit record. You'll find him as Seth Bang, B-A-N-G. And you've got to check out his two Seth Tuesdays. He's walked us through how they were made. So I guess now you can play detective and see if you can see the tricks. But uh, I've got to say they're they're very good. It was cool to hear about, I I kind of hung on to the bit that he mentioned about Robert Rodriguez's uh, Rebel Without a Crew show. It's also a book that Robert wrote in 1996, and I'm familiar with him from his movies, Spy Kids, and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. He's very well known for making movies on a shoestring, I can't say that, shoestring, shoestring budget. (laughs) I remember watching uh, special features. We used to get DVDs and watch all the special features because we didn't have cable. So we would just watch anything we could. Um, And he was, I remember things like he was using digital film before it was mainstream. And he had so many tips and tricks on how to save money. And um, But one thing that I saw on those special features 
I still think of on occasion to this day. He filmed himself. He was in his kitchen and he had a little menu printed and it listed a couple items that were his specialty, like that he always had the ingredients on hand. And if you were a guest in his house, you could ask for any of those items and he could whip them up for you. And I always think, I always think about doing that. I always think, should I make a menu? Cause I always have certain ingredients at home and there are certain things that I could always cook at a moment's notice. And I always thought, gosh, that would be fun to have a menu. But Honestly, I'm already a short order cook for my kids and uh, I'm trying to have less time in the kitchen, not more. So maybe I'll save it for uh, my empty nest years. (laughs) And I love, love, love the exclamation point stories. And that's fun and nuts and just so interesting to see. I don't know. It really, I mentioned it in the, in the episode, but you really can be creative in every part of your life. That's fun. I'll li- I'll link up to the article that I mentioned about the crazy name laws by state. Okay, you know what I really want to talk about is this hit record physical traveling exhibit, right? I love this idea. Can we just please make this happen? <laughs> official or not official, I think we can do this. And I really hope that everyone listening gets excited about it first of all if you're not already on hit record you can join at any time so if you want to come and play and be a part of making art you don't have to be an expert Uh, most of us aren't and you really learn a lot along the way and you kind of find an area that you can contribute to Um, so I'd recommend it anyway so Seth is going to start a project for this Um, You can check the show notes or um, if you go to notnosy.com slash Seth Leary, I'll put the link for where the project is and where we're going to be discussing it and working on it. Um, The podcast will probably be up a day before the project is up. I'm just guessing. So I'll update it as soon as I can. Um, But and I know that after each guest, I decide to plunge into whatever they do. I'm I'm crazy like that, that I just get so inspired by everyone. My voice acting career so far was about one day long. Uh, I acknowledge that. I am still excited about it, but there's so many things I want to do. But this, I'm telling you, I'm so excited about this. I really want to see this happen. It's going to have to be a team effort, and it will be able to be. uh, It'll be a collaboration from start to finish and a chance to really show people in real life, IRL, what collaborative art can be. Uh, So I'll also be talking about it on social media. So don't forget, you can find the podcast at Not Nosy Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. You can comment, reply, share, share, share. Please help uh, more people find us. And uh, you can find me as at Rec Gator. I'd love to hear from you. So in closing on this 10th episode of Not Nosy. Thank you so much for joining me episode after episode. I'm enjoying this project so much. Having an excuse to have a long conversation with these people that I admire so much, it's a dream. And connecting with all of you that are listening has been absolutely amazing. So excited to keep going and I'll see you next time. Bye.